Yeah, welcome back to this episode that has been kind of cursed for us for the last oh month. Oh my goodness. I'm still CJ. And I'm still PP. And we're still here as the Gahooligans. Uh, you might have heard that there was a murder most foul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm going to make this joke like four times now. Um, not only in the book that we're about to read, but also your computer. Yeah, yeah, there was an accident that involved... Um, uh, experimental cocktail that ended up being more of a green sludge that kind of irreparably destroyed it after we already had this episode recorded but not yet edited. So, yeah, we're a few weeks late here. <laughs> but we're back and we are re-recording what we've already talked about, which will be interesting because that's not how we usually do things. Not at all. So, on that note, we're going to go through the first about 110 pages. Uh, of the, the siege? siege, yeah. We're right. on to book four. Yeah, we're on to book four, which does actually really truly begin with a murder, most foul of crows, right? No, no, not a murder of crows. No, it's a parliament of owls. Oh, we made that joke already. Well, yeah, but okay. Anyway, but, no, this is. But really, truly, what we actually begin this book with is an author's note. Yeah, uh, about Winston Churchill, right? About Winston Churchill. And we're not going to get to any of the real Winston Churchill speeches in the first half of this book. But, like, keep that in the back of your brain because they're coming. Yeah, we'll bring it back up next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we really begin with is a beautiful description of Clud's face and feathers melting. Yeah, because we left him in a pretty bad spot. He had a burning branch shoved into his metal mask. And the metal mask is now molded onto his face. He's uh -huh. missing an eye. He's missing a part of a beak. He is horribly scarred, but can mm -hmm. apparently still hear out of that ear. Uh, and he begins by the worst curse an owl can say. Apparently worse than rack drops, worse than sprink. The worst curse. Hmm. It would it be... <laughs> You're gonna edit that out, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would it be you fucker? Glock's blood on my brother's gizzard. Oh, now that we do need to bleep though. So, for example, Glock's blood on your dead computer. No, no. You're right. Your computer doesn't have a gizzard. Uh huh. And also, it was fine. It was entirely user error. Anyway, yeah, he's learned nothing from anything. He's still a very Nazi evil owl. Uh -huh. uh, and this just fuels his hatred. Pure Darth Vader style. Yeah, yeah. Like, hate is the only thing that kind of keeps him alive here. Well, hate and a brown fish owl. Yeah, named Simon. Simon. Simon yeah. the brown fish owl. 
who uh, I will admit, I find him to be kind of an idiot. Uh -huh. Like, he's a sweet guy. He's a sweet character. Obviously, he's kind and caring and helpful. He's also just foolish and yeah. naive. I'm a little bit more sympathetic towards him. You have a little bit more of a religious upbringing than I did, so that doesn't suppose. surprise me. I suppose. Um, because Simon, for our listeners, is our very first uh, Glocksian brother. He is this world's equivalent of a Christian monk mm -hmm. uh, on pilgrim. So he's on a pilgrimage. He finds Clud literally plummeting into the sea and pulls him out to save him. Uh -huh. I just can't help but think how many fewer books we would need <laughs> if he hadn't. <laughs> yeah, but also the series would be pretty boring then. If we lost our main antagonist this soon. I mean, yeah, but also if somebody is screaming racial insults at you while you're trying to save their life, like, doesn't, isn't that kind of a clue? Yeah, you probably shouldn't be at EMT, CJ. <laughs> I, yeah, nope. But we do get this really interesting line from Simon. Um, As a pilgrim of the Gloxian brothers of the northern kingdoms, Simon's duty was not to question, nor convert, nor preach, but simply to help give solace, peace, and love. This owl seemed sorely in need of all. I mean, he's not wrong. But this is where he feels a little foolish. Mm -hmm. Like, if we are making the obvious analogy to Christianity, I feel like there's an argument that Simon is making here as a character, right? Yeah, yeah. That religion's job in our modern world of 2002 mm -hmm. is not to preach, is not to convert, is just to give solace, peace, and love. But then he dies doing it. Uh-huh. So obviously that's not, like... The purpose of religion in this world because it didn't work. I feel like you are taking the worst case scenario and broadly applying it to all owl religion here. I mean, yeah, but he's also the only example of owl religion that we've got. Like, we've heard secondhand some from Ezelrib, but that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like giving aid, regardless of the state or the the soul of the person that you're giving aid to necessarily means that that is like a bad rule to live by. It has bad consequences here, but overall the world is going to be better if everyone's a little kinder. All right. So we know who the better person is here and it is not me. Um, if I find Clud in the ocean and he's hurling racial insults at me, I'm leaving him. Like I'm, I got limits and this is it. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you're, you're the more practical one, definitely. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop the owl genocide. Um, I also couldn't help but make comparisons to St. Aggie's. Yeah, yeah. This, this don't question doctrine, which I feel like a lot of folk with religious trauma might be able to empathize with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, don't ask questions. Where have he, we heard this before? The Nazi owls. That's where we heard this before. Yeah, yeah. Like, again... I think he's foolish. Yeah, that that's a much harder thing for me to try to argue <laughs> back on. Yeah. But yes, Simon the Owl, the brown fish owl, saves Clud, who immediately begins plotting the rest of the book out in the first chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
which I kind of appreciate. Like we've had this, um, I don't know, each book's been a little bit different of a structure. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had that first book that was very much a, you know, hero's journey taken from your everyday normal, mm-hmm. dropped into the terrible and escaping. Yeah, yeah. And then we had the journey, which was really boring and <laughs> almost entirely, you know, mental. Uh-huh. Um, and then we had this this kind of mystery setup of clues and tracking down information in the third book. And now we just have the entire plot laid out for us. Like, Clud just mm-hmm. tells us what his plan is. He's going to go attack the tree. That's the yeah, plan. Yeah. We're doing it. I mean, the book's called The Siege. There better be a there siege There better at some be a siege, yeah. So I can appreciate that. It's a, a very straightforward setup, and we're not going to get to it in the first half. No, no, because we have to go on a whole kind of side mission in this first half of the book, yeah? Well, yes, yes. Like, don't get me wrong, it's very important, but it's not The Siege. It's not what the right. title of the book is about. right. Uh, but we do learn why the Great Downing happened from Clud's point of view. Yeah. Um, and we find out Soren was kidnapped by the wrong Nazis. Yeah, that the pure ones wanted him, but St. Aggies got there first. Yeah, Clud intended to push him out as like a symbol for the pure ones. Uh-huh. To show that he was the bestest barn owl boy. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, St. Aggies just happened to scoop up Soren. For, we could have had a very different story. I, I love the, the, con- okay, I don't love, I just find that bitterly ironic that, like, the way that Clud is proving his, like, uh, allegiance to species purity is to basically attempt the murder of another mem- another one of his species. And yet, I feel like that wouldn't be so historically unusual, you know? No, it really wouldn't. Yeah, it's accurate in a stupid sort of way. So 30 pages down, which is quite a lot for these books. This is, I think, the longest of the books yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but first 30 pages are all Clud and Simon and one more owl. Yes, who I had completely forgotten about the first time we recorded this. But this time I'm going to sound a lot smarter and say, yeah, there's something of a ghost haunting these woods. She's back. Uh, yeah. yeah, Mist. Mist is the name we get for her this time. Mm-hmm. And she does get a picture in the back of the books. Um, and she she is very ghost-like. Um, she is not a white species. She's not like a snowy owl. She's, in fact, very small. And very easy to overlook. In fact, Clud looks right at her. And right through her. Yeah. This was a wild plot twist. The... The owlet who showed up the Kahul tree, we were so sure that it was the real Eglantine, but no, this is the real Eglantine. <laughs> no, but she does mention, like, anybody who's paying attention, she mentions Streak and Zan while she is witnessing the beheading of Simon the Brownfisher Owl, um, which are familiar names for familiar eagles. And who do we know who has eagles? Philadelphia. <laughs> No, it's Hortense. That's it's pretty Hortense. good, though. I couldn't have pulled that one out. It is Hortense. It's Hortense. She's had a shock. She's gone stark white and is maybe invisible? Yeah, she's got she's got some more fleck-induced superpowers. <laughs> Not We're... really invisible, just invisible to evil, I guess. Yeah, yeah. More... She's so good, she's invisible to evil. Or, or it's like, it's kind of a chameleon sort of thing, you know? <laughs> chameleon owl. Or it's, shoot, it's not invisibility, but it's like where you make people's perception just kind of 
slip slip over you without noticing. Prophagnosia? An inability to recognize faces? Yeah, and owls are, you know, like, 50% face, so. Uh, Valid. Yeah, anyway, she's the only witness to the murder. She's like, hmm, I should probably tell somebody that this owl with half of a metal face is out here killing people and definitely planning something. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so we've had a murder that you could say was perhaps, um, most... A little off the baseline? Syncopated? We are off track. (laughs) But you know who's not off track? No, they're wildly off track. But you know who's also off track? (laughs) The band! So after like two or three chapters, we finally bounce back to them. And this is where I give you my very first owl vocab, which I've definitely already told you once, and it's also definitely written down here in front of me where I keep my notes. Thank Glocks! We keep notes. Otherwise, this episode would have been lost forever. Anyway, Soren and the band, they're gleeking. Which, that's just like goofing off, right? It is just goofing off. See, I had this thing in middle school where somebody told me, when you do the thing where you stick the tongue to the bottom of your mouth, and you lift it, and you make that little... Yeah. uh, And the little bit of spit comes out the bottom of your tongue. Mm -hmm. I was told that was called gleeking. I thought that Gleeking was getting really, really invested in TV show musicals. <laughs> I did that too. Both were relevant to me. That were actually like really, really unrealistic as to what a high school Glee club could achieve. And, you know, in retrospect, maybe not the best representation. Uh... I never watched much Glee, but isn't there like a teacher-student oh, relationship in yes, there? Yes, yes. Whatever you imagine Glee had, it had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also had Sue, and, you know, she made up for a lot of a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yep, yep. Anyway, they're gleeking, they're goofing off. And we get just a chapter of them, like, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Just having fun, which is good. They needed a moment to have fun, since things were a little tense to, uh, during the rescue, so they, they need a break. Soren did just melt half of his brother's face. Uh-huh, so. as far as he knows, murdered his brother. Um, uh, no, at the end of the last book, we did get a scene of we thought Club went Eep. Uh-huh. And he caught himself at the last second. Yeah, So yeah. Soren does, it, it is implied, at least, you know? Yeah, yeah. He didn't see Club's dead body, so he's not yeah. going to assume. Yeah, yeah. And also his parents' ghosts didn't come to him right after. We're like, hey, thanks. Which also, you know, props to Soren for beating every horror trope and knowing that if you don't see the death happen on screen, it didn't happen. Yeah, Good yeah. for you, Soren. That's his gizuition yeah. taking over. <laughs> but wait, we interrupt your Gleekoff programming. For? For Spronk! Now, watch your language there, CJ. Spronk is not a curse word. Sprink is a curse word. Oh, Spronk. oh I always get that wrong. <laughs> we already had this conversation once, and I can't believe you did it again. Uh-huh. I- I'm remaking the content. It's perfect. <laughs> you tell me what Spronk is. Uh, Spronk is, um, so we know that owls don't, like, poop. Like, they just yarp up pellets. Right. But they still have to pass some liquid. What are you talking about? That's Sprink. We're talking about Spronk! Yeah, you're right. Sprink should probably be forbidden knowledge, actually. I don't know. I wish there was an owl word for that. 
I can't tell if you honestly got sidetracked or we're going for the bit. You'll never know. All right, I, now I think you're going for the bit. I mean, whether or not it started as an accident, now it's a bit. <laughs> but yeah, Spronk. Forbidden knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Which, there's a meeting of the parliament, and they have decided... This is me remembering from when we tried to record this like three weeks ago, or when we successfully recorded this three weeks ago before it all went away. Um, because uh, Dulap, mm -hmm. who is the uh, Gahulology rib, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. uh, is just kind of a nasty person all around, mm -hmm. a petty person who likes to exercise power just for the fun of it, has decided that she wants to make uh, all the books on flex, on magnetism. Specifically, uh, higher magnetism. Yes, yes. Not flex are roughly included in that, but specifically, HM. Yes, yes. A whole HM. clothing company. Banned. Uh huh. How are we going to learn surf now? <laughs> I think you made that joke last time too, and it still got me. Okay. Okay. Anyway, yeah, higher magnetism. She wants to make that spronk, forbidden knowledge. And pretty much. Everyone else is like, no, why would we do that? We don't need to do that. Except, it's okay. Except they're not really. Like, Ezelrib is the only one of the ribs to speak up and say, wrong, you're a dummy. <laughs> Which, thank you, Ezelrib. Uh, uh -huh. it, I, I take this one personally. It hurts me on a personal level. It hurts me on a professional level. This is the same Glock's darned argument that I have professionally every day. And you have these little dummy kids running around saying, Oh, the tree wouldn't ban anything. They just want us to learn. No. Yeah, you just have like one person who actually cares strongly about banning the books. Is that fair to say? That no one else like feels strongly right. here? Right. Most everyone else is just going along because they don't want to uh, make Dulap mad because yeah. it kind of make your life miserable. And, you know, Dulap's doing the classic satanic panic, you know, oh, higher magnetics is dark magic, woo! And, like, to be slightly fair, like, Ezelrib was almost completely, like, taken out of commission by a devil's triangle, which was an application of higher magnetics. Sure, which is all the more potent when he is the one arguing against it. Yeah, yeah. Arguing against the ban. Um... But yeah, everybody admits this is a science we don't fully understand. Ezelrib straight up says it. Mm -hmm. um, Dulap calls it magic. But all the other ribs, including the king and queen, don't back him up. They're just silent this whole time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I guess the, I could imagine the thought process there being, Ezelrib is grumpy and mean no matter what. Dulap will play nice as long as she gets her way. Do I want one person yammering at me or two? I mean, I can tell you the thought process uh, just from dealing with administration. Yeah. Of, oh, angry parent is complaining about queer slash racial slash, you know, any controversial topic again. What can we do to please the parent? Do exactly what they say. We can give in immediately. But the the difference here is, like, Dulap is on an equal, like, footing level to Ezelrib and everyone else there. Like, Dulap is a member of the parliament and a rib, just like everyone else in that room, except for the king and queen who, like, 
are a step <laughs> above, I would assume. See, now formally, I agree with you. Yes, Dewlap is in title the same, but it is it is even mentioned that Ezelrib is higher respected. Yeah. You know? There there is an implicit hierarchy, it's just not explicit. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the teacher with ten years experience versus the teacher with two years experience. Yeah. Actually, more the teacher emeritus who's still around the university or high school, you know, thirty years after they should have retired. Yep. Yep. Which, I mean, we've seen that character before, too. This is the Owl Umbridge. Yes, yes. And you know, if you wanted me to hate her, there was nothing you could do faster or easier than make her a book banner. Uh Well done, Catherine Lasky. That is a very effective way in YA to get you to hate a character. It's just to say, this character says you're not allowed to do something. Mm Mm-hmm. Well. From here. But yeah, in the end, the Parliament uh, capitulates... Um, and then we get to the best phrase in these books that stuck with me for a long time because Odalissa's just like, well, I want to read these banned books. Uh-huh. Goes to the library, makes a scene of it, uh-huh. like right in Dulab's face and tries uh-huh. to check out one of these higher magnetics books. And when Dulab starts saying, no, that's wrong, you can't do that. Odalissa says, I'll, I'll let you say it since. In all caps. Yes. Sprink on your spronk. Which is beautiful. And you're missing the details that make it wonderful. Please. Which is, A, Ezelrib is in the room when this happens. Ezelrib is in the library watching Dulap and Utlissa throw down. Two, this was a whole secret plan that the band cooked up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was a whole, okay, we're going to send Utlissa and we're all going to be there and watch it happen and see what they do. Like, this is a band of students Coming together against book banning. Mm-hmm. Take notes, children. Take notes and do work. Three is just how Utlissa plays it. Uh, she puts on this whole act. Removing books. Decisions. Since when are there decisions about books I want to read? Utlissa drew herself up taller. Her feathers were now fully fluffed up. Udlissa's plumage was puffed to a degree that was most often associated with a posture of attack. She looked huge. Uh, she, I mean, she pulls every, every drawer out of like, oh, I want to read it because my ancestor Strix Imarilla mentioned it in a different book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She does everything. And this is not an owl that cusses. She's been very... Well, yeah, Trauma? no, I I feel like that was implicit yeah. from the start. So it's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's one more detail that you loved about this, at least the first time we recorded. Oh, I've forgotten it. What was it? Um, what does Dulap do upon hearing? Oh, <laughs> Dulap faints. Dulap just conks out in the middle of the library. Oh, mm-hmm. Beautiful. I, I harbor a secret desire to have made one of my teachers pass out, uh-huh, but uh-huh. also I recognize I probably did as a student, and I my apologies in, in, 20 years later, mostly, mostly. Anyway, they got uh, Ezelrib's attention. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, these kids, these anti-book band kids, these are the kids I want. I got a mission. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And yeah, he's now going to send them on a mission, right? You know it. Yeah. I'd completely, what, the first time we recorded, I completely forgot that the siege and this mission happen in the same book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it really could be its own whole book. Mm -hmm. It goes deceptively quickly. Yeah. Because what we're doing is we're going back to St. Aggie's. Yes. We're going to go back and infiltrate St. Aggie's and try to see what they... I forget what our exact goals are here. I feel like we want to know what they know about Plex because we know they care about Plex. Right. And we also want to know, like, are they at war with the Pure Ones? Are they going to ally with the Pure Ones? What is the balance there? Are they infiltrated by the Pure Ones Mm, is the one mm -hmm. that is most suspected. Um, so the grand plan here, courtesy of Ezelrib, is to take the Chaw and Martin and Ruby from the Coilering Chaw and just stuff their little brains full of Northern Kingdom facts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which makes no sense when we have, you know, a Great Grey and a Sawet, <laughs> a Barred Owl... What? None of them belong in the Northern Kingdom. I think the hope is St. Aggies doesn't know anything about the Northern Kingdoms either, so maybe they won't realize. It's, it's bait. It is like straight up bait of, ooh, we're from the Northern Kingdoms. Do you want us to fight for you? Um, while we spy on you from the inside? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the magic word, especially that they're using, is disorganized. We left the Northern Kingdoms because it's so disorganized. Yeah, because if there's one thing St. Aggies loves, it is strict organization, strict routine. It is just, you know, we're running everything like a prison. What does fascism love? A charismatic leader. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's the magic word is, oh yeah, there was no leader. There was, it was so disorganized. We had to leave. We all happened to get blown up there by a willow wall and we all happened to want to leave together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is really weak in retrospect. Yeah, but St. Aggies, when they hear what they want to hear, they're pretty content, you know? Like, Soren and Gilfius, like, you know, like, little, like, two-month-old owlets were like, oh yeah, we've been completely brainwashed now. Thank you very much. <laughs> And they were like, yes, perfect. Actually, I think what you just said is deceptively deep. Fascists, when they hear what they want to hear, are content with that answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to stick with me. Anyway, we spent like two chapters learning the history of the Northern Kingdoms uh-huh. secondhand. Is there any lore worth sharing now? Um, not so much. What we do get that is cool is some of the um, Gahul legend cycles. We don't hear the actual stories for the most part, Uh or when we do hear them, it's just in in quick bursts. Mm -hmm. But for the purposes of resisting moon blinking, everyone is assigned a cycle. And in lieu of real owl vocab, can you tell me who gets what Gahul cycle? I will tell you there are three... Main cycles. Uh-huh. And then there are sort of three sub-cycles. Yeah. Soren already kind of knows them all. Yes. Yeah, so Soren ends up, he doesn't take a main cycle, actually. Yeah, He's yeah. just in the this sort of weather villains and heroes category. Mm-hmm. Still a broad category. It's very broad. Yeah. So how did weather end up with those other two? Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh. If, if, it's, if you're an owl, weather is probably pretty legendary. Oh, yeah, but just why does that go with heroes and villains? 
because oh, it's the classic man versus environment tale. Okay. Like that's one okay. of the big categories of story. That's true. Man that's versus true. villain, man mm-hmm. versus world, man versus society, uh-huh. man versus environment. Yeah. All right. All right. Or owl versus. Mm-hmm. Owl versus man. Owl versus man. <laughs> I think we know who won that war in this world. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, let's see. There was a war cycle, if I yes, remember Yes, there was a war cycle. Who has that one? Uh, that... Is that Twilight? Of course it's Twilight. Yeah, I hope there's some good songs in there for him. Uh, we do get some battle songs later on. Good, good. Um, let's see. There was a war cycle. Um, if I remember right... Gilfy got a star cycle and you were upset that we didn't learn anything about the star cycle. I was, because we did learn something about the coiling, coiler, coiler, oh, you gave, you gave, collier cycle. You gave it away. Yeah, but who has it? Uh, that would be, uh. Who's the best fire owl? Oh, it's, um, Ruby, right? Ruby, it's Ruby. <laughs> Ruby, who is terrible, terrible at book learning, but such a strong flyer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, Gilfy gets the star cycle, but we don't actually get to hear the star cycle. Yeah, because we're sending not only the main four of the band in Odalissa, but also Martin and Ruby, right? Yes. Yes. And it's that seven, <clears throat> I guess? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes, seven right. owls. Which is a big group to get blown in by a will of uh-huh. but okay. Uh-huh. Have we checked in with Eglantine at all since uh, Soren came back? Oh, you mean my cottagecore lesbians? So I was asked about my shipping chart a while ago, and I've still not made it. Uh, yeah, but if you, I were to make it... You owe that to our listeners, <laughs> CJ. If I were to make my shipping chart, knowing that um, gay characters are not a thing that exists in the scope of this world as we know it, Eglantine and Primrose, her bestie. These are my cottagecore lesbian. That's what's in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eglantine goes to move in with Primrose because Primrose has an empty hollow. Um, all of her nestmates died to Wait. summer flocks at the Google Tree. Mm-hmm. And nobody's worried about it. It is one sentence in passing. Oh, yeah. Primrose's nestmates died of summer flux. Her, her hollow's empty. Have Eglantine move in with her. There's a plague at the ghoul tree that we haven't heard about. <laughs> and nobody's worried about I mean, it. I guess these owls don't have modern medicine. So I guess dying of disease is much more uh, common. I guess so. It was a little dark. Uh-huh. Especially when it was supposed to be kind of a happy moment of like, Yeah. Oh, your sister can't know of your secret mission. Let's send her to live with her bestie. Uh-huh. Oh, whose roommates sweet. all died. <laughs> <sighs> well. It does make me think a little bit differently about the stakes of some of these books <laughs> if death is that easy come, easy go when it's from disease. <sighs> anyway, yeah, they're my cottagecore lesbians now. I imagine them living together in a beautiful little hollow filled with, you know, one nest made snake and no maggots and doing their happy little down fluff training. Sharing yeah. sharing centipedes. Sharing centipedes. Yeah, exactly. You got me. Yeah. Milkberry tea. Mm-hmm. Alright, alright. Anyway. So yeah, uh, we did have to move hollows around for most of our crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that they would be housed with people who didn't know about their super secret St. Aggie's mission. And we spent like three chapters this way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Then we gotta take time to prep for a mission. 
Um, and one more important thing happens before we actually get, actually, as we are getting underway. And it is also with Udlissa. Um. Well, you remember that book that Udlissa said she really wanted really bad, but was really a setup? Oh yeah, she gets a flint mop for this. She gets a big flint mop for this. Sort of. So Ezelrib does give her the book behind Dewlap's back. Uh, she's really nervous the night before they're due to take off, so <laughs> she decides to send herself to sleep with some light reading about higher magnetics. Yeah. And Dewlap is just, like, there? Uh-huh. Staring into her bedroom in the middle of the day. When everybody else is sleeping, Dewlap is staring into a miner's bedroom. Uh-huh. Uh, tenure's gotta be a doozy <laughs> at the Gahul tree. It's weird. Um, really gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it also kind of serves as this... This lesson on how fascism works again. Mm-hmm. Like, Ezelrip has to go behind the system's back to give Utlissa this book. Yeah, yeah. Behind the library's back, behind Dulap's back, behind the system's back. And, like, the system, Boron and Baron, the Parliament, none of them help. Mm -hmm. It's all just Ezelrib. Yeah, yeah. The lesson kind of being that, like, organizations can be helpless mm -hmm. against fascism. Uh-huh. And you just kind of have to take action sometimes. Yeah. And I really like that. Mm -hmm. That speaks to me on an emotional level. Uh, it also speaks to Udlissa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Udlissa ends up on uh, just a nasty flint mop uh -huh. with Dulap. Pull old pellets out of the beach, like where they washed up on the shore to mm -hmm. go bury. Oh, and while you're at it, dear, would you fetch me that fresh vole? It looks so sweet. Oh, and while you're at it, dear, would you hunt me that squirrel? Sprunk on you, Dulap. <laughs> Bring on you, I think you mean. Shoot, I made the mistake now. Oh no! Uh, yeah, so this, this chapter ends with uh, Utlissa throwing a book in Dulap's face. Mm -hmm. Just smack. And then a dead vole too, right? And a dead vole, yep. Yep, yep, yep. The book floats away. And then we get a lot of descriptions of uh, Dulap's flying. And I find this fascinating. Yeah. Whenever Dulap is described as a fly, and Dulap is a uh, burrowing owl, uh -huh. is a ground owl, mm -hmm. not really known for their great flight skills, um, but is an incredibly noisy and like ill-balanced flyer. As Utlissa followed her, she could not help but notice what a miserable flyer this rib was. Burrowing owls, of all owls, were the least skillful and the weakest flyers. They were known, however, for their superior abilities in walking and even running over all sorts of terrain on the ground. Dulap was the worst flyer Udlissa had ever seen. She lacked silence and balance as she flew. Her strokes were rough and feeble. She rarely got any significant lift from them, and when she carved a turn it was a complete mess. And she was still attempting to fly while holding in her talons the book she had snatched from Otlissa. And I highlighted this because it is a direct comparison to... Um, St. or Clud. 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 We do get some of it from St. Aggie's Guards too, but Clud mm -hmm. is the other one who's 
specifically mentioned to be badly preened and doesn't keep uh-huh. his flight feathers, so he's noisy. Yeah, and Claude is still like a proficient flyer, but he's not a silent flyer. Yeah. There's a lot of pride in that. Especially there is. especially among the barn owls, too. Yes, who are supposed to be extra good at it because of their large what is it? I've never heard it pronounced it's before. Pinons? P- pinions? Pinions? P-I-N-O-N-S. I thought it was pinions, but I could be wrong. I could be entirely wrong. But yeah, I, I can't help but notice the Disney villain-esque description. Like, evil mm-hmm. owl equals bad flyer. Uh-huh. It's a way of doing ugly equals evil in yeah. a way that you can describe with owls, where, like, describing an owl as ugly is not going to mean that much to us. And also, like, we have some pushback against that, like with, with Ezra, Ezra Rib, yeah, who has, like, a terrifying appearance, at least to Soren and Gilfie's little experience. And they made a really big deal of it. Uh-huh. But ends up having a heart of gold. So it seems like you can tell the truth of an owl's soul, not from their physical appearance, but from how they fly. Yeah, there's a there's a kernel of Disneyism uh-huh. extended here, for sure. None of that matters, because Dulap can't keep up because she's a terrible flyer. So yes. we all take off for St. Aggies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's time for our infiltration mission, which starts like a breeze. They hear, they completely buy the, the story, right? The Northern Kingdom story? They do, uh, without any real digging. Mm-hmm. They get very excited as soon as these owls land in St. Aggie's, like, oh, you're from the Northern Kingdoms. Well, what can you tell us? Uh, in fact, Odlissa in particular is pulled out several times to give information because mm-hmm. she remembers the most yeah, yeah, from yeah. their lessons. Um, Twilight really plays it up, and Soren thinks for sure, like, Twilight faking humility is going to get them caught. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like Twilight's kind of been dreaming about, not this moment, but the moment when they reveal their true selves are like, ha, Sprinkle on you, we're out of here. He really is. Yeah, Twilight said, with just the right mixture of gruffness and meekness. We want a real leader. We're humble owls. Ah, uh, yes. There's nothing more humble than proclaiming your humility for everyone to hear. <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? But there is uh, kind of one more thing I want to point out in these last chapters uh, before we hit chapter 10 and stop. And that's the end of the world. Uh, we got a little bit of this in the last book. Mm-hmm. With uh, the mention of human skeletons. Yeah, and castles. In the castles, yeah. And we get some of this in, what, our Northern Kingdom's lore? Is that where this comes up? Um, This comes up in... The cycles, the Gahul cycles that oh, they yes. memorize. And we just get a little bit of, sn- a few snippets here in chapters like 8 to 10 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to read a little bit of the fire cycle. Please. It was in the time of the endless volcanoes. For years and years in the land known as Beyond the Beyond, Flames had scraped the sky, turning clouds the color of glowing embers, both day and night. The volcanoes that had been dormant for years had begun to erupt. Ash and dust blew across the land, and although it was thought to be a curse from great glocks on high, it was something else. For this was the time when... Grank, the first collier, was hatched. 
I heard that baby Grank rizzed up Livy. What? What does that mean? I heard that baby Grank rizzed up Livy. I processed I heard that, and that was all I understood of that sentence. Man, you gotta be on Twitter more. Baby Grank has risen up Livy on there. Okay. Someone will think that's funny. <laughs> Look, I just think it's really cool that all the humans died because all the volcanoes erupted. Uh-huh. Uh, there's two things there. One is, that could just be a mythological way of saying that there was a nuclear winter. However, oh, that's just... really good. Uh-huh. The second is, that sounds exactly like the death of Valyria in the Song of Ice <laughs> and Fire, where, like, the ancient, like, super-civilization that had all the dragons and stuff eventually died when all their volcanoes erupted at once. So it's very possible that these Gahul books are happening in the same world as uh, the Game of Thrones. You know, the, the castles do give some evidence for that. Also, isn't there a long night in these stories? Uh, you, I was about to get to that. So the, the little bit of the war cycle we get from Twilight. Twilight thought of the Battle of the Tigers. That had happened in the time of the long eclipse, when the huge cats that roamed the world in those ancient days went yoiks from lack of sun and began a murderous rampage. It had been a great grey, named Long Talon, who had plunged down from the back of one knight and killed their leader, a tiger one hundred times his own size. That is completely awesome. And very long night. Mm -hmm. And also, the long night is a thing that happened in the ancient history of Westeros. So, boom. <laughs> it's also, it's kind of fascinating. We, we know that there are more books in this world um, from at least wolves. Apparently not large cats. Apparently they are all went it just crazy. They all went yoiks. Well, that, that's the Warrior series, right? No, no, that's a different, no. <laughs> they could be the same world. They're, they're definitely not since humans are alive in the Warriors universe. Well, yeah, Warriors universe is just like ancient prehistory to Gahul universe. <sighs> Every book is in the same world. You just have to go far enough or far enough forward <laughs> or back in time. It makes sense. Yeah, I just thought it was cool. Like, here's how all the humans died. Here's how the owls became intelligent. It was because all these other creatures seemed to have perished in fire and ash and endless night, which does imply like a, a you know, a huge ecological disaster, mm -hmm. a nuclear winter. Humans sprinked something up. So as the world ends, so does the episode. Yeah, yeah. So we end with just the beginning of our infiltration of St. Aggie's, right? Right. We make it there, we give our cover story, and we are marched off to our very first moon blinking, all of us thinking about our cycles of heroes and weather and villains and stars and war and coilering. All right. So yeah, so that's our plot summary there. Um, What do you think? Is this as strong as book three? think this is as strong as book three yeah it it plods less you know there are moments when the owls are gleeking uh -huh. where you kind of feel in other books you feel it drag a little bit as they're uh -huh. having fun which leads to these passages of just innumerable violence um which gets really intense really fast and like you're not really sure where it comes from mm -hmm. or like it just comes out of nowhere and smacks you across the side of the face and leaves your brother's head burning uh -huh. uh, <laughs> But in this one, the moments where there is downtime is 
filled with preparation Mm -hmm. and it's purposeful. Yeah, you have your downtime and you have your primary time. Full Blades in the Dark style, yeah. Oh, I was making an owl feather pun. Oh, I didn't even pick that up. No, you know what? Now that I've said it, though, this is a Blades in the Dark campaign. Yeah. Yeah. This is just, this is a team getting ready to go on a mission. I say this as someone who says that all the time, that that's a, that's an analogy we make way too broadly and way too often. And I will take the blame for that. Maybe Absolutely. we just really like Blades in the Dark. Maybe. I guess if there was a framework to build a Gufool game off of. It would have to be in the dark. They're owls. Uh-huh. I'm going to figure out. Or, no, you Pinions probably do. in the dark? No, what you'd probably do is actually something more in, like, the, the mouse guard realm. Uh, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe someday we will do a Gahul spinoff actual play. We're going to have to do owl Some dialect owl, first. Actual play. Actual play! <laughs> Either that or just do a season of interstitial on that. Also fair. Just bring in Sora and yeah, a bunch of human characters. <laughs> hey guys! What are you? Ooh, an interstitial where everyone are owls from different franchises. So you could have Hootie from the Owl House. Oh my Glocks, yes! Um, let's see. What other good fictional owls? Okay, while we think about that, um, we gotta go. clockwork one from, um, Clash of the Titans. There's a clockwork owl in Clash of the Titans that belongs to Athena. Yeah, Athena's owl, definitely, and I have not watched Clash of the Titans, but yes. Actually, um, that brings me nicely into, uh, this episode's Owl Fact Corner. We've already done this one once, so Callie's going to get it right. I've already forgotten. Hit me. All right. Welcome back to PB's Owl Fact Corner, where we learn real facts about owls, except one of them isn't real. Um, this week we are righting a wrong that I did two weeks ago, where I falsely claimed that Twilight was a great horned owl. In fact, he's a great gray owl. I was right that he was great. <laughs> he's right that he's great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, are you ready for some owl facts Hit about great grays? facts, yeah. Fact number one. Great gray owls are known for leaving their young early, sometimes before they're even fully fledged. So, Twilight being from the orphan school of Hard Knocks... Would make sense. Uh-huh. Being abandoned by his parents, absolutely, would make sense. I think I remember that one being false, but we'll find out. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Second of all, great grays, unlike some of the other owls we've listened to, make just a completely normal owl hoot. Just a normal... Uh, that one was true. They had the most owlish owl sound that I had heard yet. Uh-huh. I will edit that in in post. I don't yeah. have it pulled up right now, so you just get my approximation. I, with my three-week-old memory, I'm pretty sure that one was true. What? They, they also had an annoyed hoot that was like, what, what, what? Miles is very concerned with their hearing. You're your very hooting. concerned. Does not like it. All right, and third and final, the scientific name of Great Grey Owls is Strix Nebulosa. And we can dissect that. Strix is a Greek word for owl, actually, and specifically kind of a cryptid that is essentially an owl, like a mythological creature that is like, oh, yes, it has sharp talons and it flies silently and it has like a ghostly white face. Like, oh, you're just describing an owl. (laughs) But it's also kind of like what harpies are sort of based on. Well, there's still just a lot of mythology out there about owls as ill omens. Uh huh. I'll definitely do a future owl pack corner just through 
just on owl myths, because that's fun. Yes. And then nebulosa comes from the Greek for um, foggy or cloudy. It's the same mm-hmm. root as nebula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, a, uh, yeah, I don't have more to say there. <laughs> well, okay, so the third one... I wouldn't know if it's true or not. I wouldn't remember to this day. Who remembers Latin names? Only people for those for whom that's oh, yeah, a you're representation. Right. Sorry. Sorry, let me go back. Uh, Nebulosa is Latin, not Greek. I'm pretty certain. I said Latin names. Yeah, I know, but I said Greek. Oh. oh, oh. All right. So number three, I wouldn't know either way. Um, number two, I'm pretty certain is true that they're very owl, owly, 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 owl hoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm gonna go with number one being false. That is correct. Uh, great great owl parents will look after the young for actually a little bit longer than most other owl species, and I believe specifically that the males will continue to feed their young well after they have fully fledged. Which makes Twilight's situation even more unusual. Yes. Yes. So yeah, there you go. Owl Fact Corner. Um, I think we're going to skip the fan work feature this episode. To get it out as soon yep. as possible. But we will be back next time with a new fan work feature. And we're working on our own. Yes, we should be working on our own. I have a uke. What are you working on? I mean, I have a piano. Yes! <laughs> but we will return with the second half of The Siege from page 110 onward. All right. Perfect. Um, let's see. Any closing thoughts here? Uh, thank you for your patience in us getting another episode out. It was kind of a uh, hellish month, but we got through it. Well, you can say that because hell is an owl curse. Exactly. I I had that thought for a second. Um, but barring the melting of a second computer, uh, things should be back on track from here. Uh-huh. I'll probably try to get our next episode out pretty quick after this one, just to try to make up for it. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, we'll get back to our bi-weekly schedule. Sounds good. All right. Well, until next time, it's important that more now more so than ever, listen to your gizzard. It's me, Ken. I use she and him pronouns. Uh, and I'm here to talk about clowns. The anime slash manga, Ken Ashra. I am ready to talk about some animorphs. Roma, have you ever heard of the <gasps> art movement of Dadaism? Interest in a musician group called Exociety? It's Yu-Gi-Oh! The brainworm that I would like to deliver you to you today is um, Gundam and or Gumpla. I became aware of a series of novels that people told me about called Discworld. Hey, Lewis, what are we talking about? Aragorn. Aragorn! Welcome to the Hyperfixation, where we invite our friends onto our show to tell us about what they're excited about so we can acquire an approximate knowledge of many things. New episodes out every Wednesday morning and up to five days early for patrons normalize info dumping and learn something new with us today thanks to the moonshot network